June 13th. And now we begin today's reading in the New Testament. We'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 9. We'll see the conversion of Saul of Tarsus was a turning point in the church's entire history. The witness of Stephen was significant, as were the testimonies and prayers of persons Saul persecuted. Ananias baptized him and encouraged him, and the disciples at Damascus saved his life. When the church in Jerusalem feared to welcome Saul into their fellowship, Barnabas, that means son of encouragement, built the bridge. He was the bridge. We do not know the names of the brave men who smuggled Saul out of Damascus, but, you know, holding the ropes was a very important job. And with that, let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. June 13th, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to destroy the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was nearing Damascus on this mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, and go into the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men with Saul stood speechless with surprise, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. As Saul picked himself up off the ground, he found that he was blind, so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and all that time he went without food and water. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you arrive, ask for Saul of Tarsus. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and we hear that he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest every believer in Damascus. But the Lord said, Go and do what I say, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for me, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you may get your sight back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward he ate some food and was strengthened. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. 
And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who persecuted Jesus' followers with such devastation in Jerusalem? They asked. And we understand that he came here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, the Jewish leaders decided to kill him, but Saul was told about their plot and that they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. So during the night, some of the other believers let him down in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. I do think that the low times that you don't feel God become the tools that enable you to appreciate the moments when you can. So I look at them like they work together. I look at them like weight and counterweight, gas and brake. I need both to drive the car. And I think sometimes God uses the times where I don't feel Him to slow me down so I don't go into foolishness and think it's fate. I think he sobers me and humbles me. And you know how we always talk about light and darkness and darkness is bad and light is good? That is a scriptural view because Paul talks about darkness in that way in some ways. But remember that the women went to check on Jesus while it was still dark. Darkness is not always a bad thing. There is a kind of darkness or even a type of sadness or feeling low that you don't run from. There's a type that you walk through that leads you to a greater light. So undo that in your psychology if you can. If it takes you a year or two of just like reinforcing it with scripture and kind of evaluating that in yourself. And here's one thing else I would tell you. Almost welcome it. Almost welcome that feeling that God has left me. The reason I say that, and I don't know if we could use a scripture to, to prove it real quick, But I was preaching under the anointing at the 11.30 for Easter. And I started to have this thought that I couldn't develop because it was like an Easter crowd and I thought it was a little too heavy. Maybe I was wrong. And also I wanted to hit my clock. But I was like, (coughs) I might have said it, but I didn't really do anything with it. The greatest proof of the power of God is when Jesus wasn't there. Now, obviously it's a metaphor because it's his physical body. But the moment, think about this, just if you can wrap your mind around this, you said, I did not feel God one day. They went, he wasn't there. That whole passage, I almost called that message, that Easter message, something's missing. Because everything in the passage is something that's missing. The women should have had the men with them to help them move the stone. Something's missing, the men aren't here. They get there. The stone's rolled away. The stone is missing. It's not in place. They look for the body. The body's not there. The body's missing. The proof of God's power was in what was missing, not what was there. Do you understand the power of that? That's kind of stuff, man. That's why I came over to the room early today in hopes that, like, 20-year-old you could hear that I did not even think down that path in my 20s. What if you did? What if like at 20 you're like, oh yeah, here comes that thing. 
you know, whatever that thing is for you. Oh, here comes that feeling that everybody has rejected me. Mm, okay. Um, thinking that those, you know, like the thorn that Paul talked about, because remember how, I think this is 2 Corinthians 12, he goes, there was given to me a messenger of Satan, a thorn, he doesn't name it, sent to torment me. Torment. Reverse the syllables. Torment. What? He said, the, the thing, <laughs> you see how powerful this is? It kept me grounded. It kept me humble. And the reason I had to have it is because I saw things in certain moments about God that if I did not have a, a thorn, I would have gotten so lost in myself, I would have lost sight of God. So that's why you welcome it. Paul said, it was given to me, a messenger of Satan. And he tried to send it away, but he couldn't. So that's what you do in your 20s. You're like, I rebuke you depression in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you loneliness in the name of Jesus. I'm a study. I'm fast. And you kind of go, all right, bring it on. Because honestly, by that point, you believe it doesn't matter whose truck it's in. It's God's package that shows up on the doorstep. Today we're reading Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3. And almost children naturally resist weaning because they want to continue enjoying the special attention of mother and the security it brings. Children do not realize that the traumatic experience of weaning is the first step toward maturity and freedom. And God never takes anything from you without giving you something better. You may weep and try to hold on to the past, but God tenderly leads you toward the future. When God weans you away from something, do not fret. 
He has something better to take its place. Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3. A song for the ascent to Jerusalem. A psalm of David. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or awesome for me. But I have stilled and quieted myself, just as a small child is quiet with its mother. Yes, like a small child is my soul within me. O oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, now and always. Proverbs 17, verses 4 and 5. Wrongdoers listen to wicked talk. Liars pay attention to destructive words. Those who mock the poor insult their Maker. Those who rejoice at the misfortune of others will be punished. <laughs> 